word of the Lord, I will say uh, just a couple more quick things. Please keep in mind uh, our fast. I am very excited about this fast for me personally. Uh, you know, sometimes, and, and even out in the world, not in, in religious circles, people do fast in order to cleanse themselves physically. And certainly that's one of the benefits of the fast that we're doing, but it, more importantly, we're doing it to cleanse ourselves spiritually to purge ourselves from the carnal desires. The Bible says to mortify the deeds of the flesh. That's a gruesome way of saying kill off, cut off the deeds of the flesh. In other words, there's times when we just need to lay down the desires of this flesh and the world and just seek after God in our heart and in our mind and to give ourselves over to him. And that's why I'm excited about this fast. I also believe that in fasting, uh, and, and I'm hoping either next Sunday or the Sunday after that to preach on this, but certainly in fasting, we open ourselves up to the Spirit of God, and God is able to use us more sensitively in the power of the Holy Ghost. That's why it's called Power 21. Because that's what we are expecting and anticipating as we seek the face of God in this fast. It is the power of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. I will also say two more comments. Everybody say two. I will also say please join with us at the uh, uh, restaurant after service. It is Pollo Tropical. I know there that is certain families' favorites. I think the Judishes introduced us to Pollo Tropical. A couple weeks ago, we got to take the workers uh, to Pollo Tropical for lunch, and it was a blessing. We'd love for you to join us and to come out and fellowship with us. And finally, one of the most important things, uh, we I never try to put people on the spot, but I did want to specifically say thank you to uh, Wes over here for joining us today and, and being with us. Yes, we're thankful that he's here. I also want to thank each and every one of you who are faithful to the house of God, coming and allowing God to touch you. Hasn't it been such a wonderful service so far? Amen. And and I hope I don't destroy it. <laughs> but I, yes, oh no, might be right. But I, I do feel a sermon on my heart. If we could stand and head in our Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 12. says, I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. This is, of course, Solomon writing this. When he says, I, the preacher, he's referring to himself, the king over Israel in Jerusalem. In verse 13, it says, And I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are under or done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith, or this desire has been given to us. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun. I mean, that's a pretty bold statement right there. But if anybody had the means, the opportunity to search out wisdom and all things under the sun, it was Solomon. 
He said, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. I hope today that this doesn't just come off as a depressing sermon. Certainly, we know that this has a positive end. However, the book of Ecclesiastes is one that can be quite depressing, quite uh, sorrowful when we read it. But there is such good amount of wisdom in the book of Ecclesiastes that we'd like to talk about today. So this morning, I'd like to preach to you on this topic, confessions from the top. Confessions from the top. Oh, confessions from the top. If you have the privilege to make it there, then you too may write a book like the book of Ecclesiastes. How about we go to the Lord in prayer and ask him just to speak to us again. Lord, we thank you, God, for the love we felt, the spirit and presence of God in this house. Lord, I pray that you would allow your spirit to continue to flow. I pray that, Lord Jesus, I'm not going to pray for conviction. I'm going to pray for grace. That grace that is allowed, that is able to pull on us and tug on us. That grace that is able, Lord Jesus, to reveal to us your will for our lives. I pray that in this house, Lord God, you'd allow that grace to flow. That grace that, Lord Jesus, will move us to a position of repentance, if need be, Lord God, or an acknowledgement of you and your hand in our life. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your presence. I ask you to use me according to your will. Help me to say only what you want me to say, nothing more and nothing less. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Solomon, a very well-known biblical character, the son of a giant killer, David, David, a man after God's own heart. Solomon was set up to succeed, if you will. He was 20 years old when he became king. He immediately began to reflect some, a good amount of knowledge. However, he still felt that he was young and inexperienced. At 20 years of age, not having served in any capacity that we know of in the kingdom yet, he hadn't obtained the wisdom that comes from experience. The Bible tells us that while he was in Gibeon, he was there to sacrifice unto the Lord, to seek after God. And in his seeking, he found him. How many of you know if we seek after the Lord, we will find him? Absolutely. Amen. Hallelujah. So he went to Gibeon specifically to sacrifice unto the Lord, to get a hold of God. While he was there, the Bible tells us that God gave him a dream. In that dream, God asked him or told him that he could ask for anything. What is it that you desire? Oh, all the things that Solomon could have asked for. Yet Solomon asked for wisdom and understanding. He admitted, I don't know how to come in and how to go out. I don't know how to give righteous judgment 
when ultimately people will come to me asking to make judgment. I don't know right from wrong. In other words, I need God's wisdom and experience to help me. He asks of God wisdom and understanding, and we can read God's response in 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 12. It says, Behold, I have done according to thy works. Lo, I have given thee a wise and understanding heart. This is God's response to Solomon. He says, I've given thee a wise and understanding heart so that there was none like thee before thee. Neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. You see, but God didn't stop there because God recognized what a great request that would have been. If I was given one wish, come on, you've heard the stories about the three wish genie, right? If you had three wishes, wisdom, would wisdom be on the list? (laughs) What if you only had one wish? Maybe power, maybe honor, maybe riches. Solomon didn't ask for any of those things. He asked specifically for wisdom. And by doing so, God appreciated that request so much that God decided he wouldn't just give him wisdom, but he'd also give him all of those other things. Verse 13 says, And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked for, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be among the kings like unto thee all of thy days. Hallelujah. That sounds like a pretty great setup to me. Solomon is already walking into the throne on with success because of his father, and now he has been given supernatural wisdom. God has provided him both with riches and honor to the point to where there would be no one else that could compare to Solomon. Solomon still holds the title for the most wise king to ever live. Solomon, he represented, he showed that wisdom throughout his life. In the judgment between the baby, you know the story. Is the baby hers or is the baby hers? He ultimately decided, well, let's cut the baby in half and give both of them a half. What a gruesome sounding conclusion to the matter. But he waited for that true mother to lift up her voice and say, no, do not kill the baby. If I cannot have the baby, that's fine. Just don't kill the baby. Solomon knew that was the true call of a mother who appreciated life over her own needs and desires. Solomon showed it in all the kings that he would come to meet. He became highly favored where his father had constant war, Solomon had favor and honor among kings. Ultimately, Solomon had more wisdom and understanding than anyone. Scripture tells us that Solomon had more wealth than anyone. Solomon had more honor than anyone. And I don't know if this is still true, but he certainly had more wives than anyone at that point. 
Now, some say, well, that's, I don't know if that's success or not, but a thousand wives, hallelujah, 800 wives, 200 concubines. I think it's, say, it's true, the saying, it's lonely at the top, right? <laughs> that he would require 1,000 wives. I don't know, it might be, that might be the only reason why he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He had 1,000 wives, Praise God. I am extremely thankful for my wife. And uh, praise the Lord, I would not want to share her or be shared with any other. We know, of course, that God did not support or appreciate Solomon's uh, desire for many wives. In fact, the whole book of Song of Solomon is about one man and one woman together in a romantic relationship. We know that's God's design for a man and a woman should join together and become one flesh. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I wouldn't want my wife to have to deal with a thousand husbands. Hallelujah. Praise God. So I wouldn't want to deal with a thousand wives. But during his success, Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. I know this is a slow beginning here, but just follow with me. This might be a slow sermon throughout. During his success, Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. We know the book of Proverbs as the book of wisdom. The book of Proverbs was not written solely by Solomon, although we do know he wrote many Proverbs, even Proverbs that were not a part of the book of Proverbs. But the book of Proverbs is actually a collection of wisdom sayings, sayings that are filled with wisdom and knowledge and understanding, some from other places. In fact, it is believed he searched for those proverbs. He, he would travel around. He would go to different kingdoms. He, he would want to hear wisdom from all these different cultures. That's why in the book of Proverbs, you don't find only uh, proverbs that are Hebrew in nature, some that are part of different cultures. It's because he searched for wisdom. He sought after wisdom, and it is that wisdom that he he compiled into the book that we have today as Proverbs. He searched for wisdom. Then he wrote the book of Song of Solomon or Song of Songs. This was his search for love. As I said, it's a, it's a love story between a man and a was, woman, a husband and a wife. There's a lot to be said of Song of Solomon. I'll just leave it at that. But it is ultimately that search for love that he had. And both of these books have great tidbits of wisdom. Both of these books, there's so much that you can learn from them about marriage. You can learn from them about affection. You can learn from them about, again, principles of wisdom and understanding. Things that can make you better suitable for sociable activities, better suitable for work activity, better suitable for church activities. Certainly the book of Proverbs and Song of Solomon are extremely important to us. But it isn't until Solomon had lived most of his life. And there at the end, he wrote a book called the book of Ecclesiastes. And although it is not a book of gatherings of proverbs of wisdom, we see a different type of wisdom Written before his death in 931 B.C., Solomon 
could finally say he had the wisdom that comes only with old age and experience. There's some things we just cannot learn unless we go through it, right? And in all of this, at the very end of his life, it was quite obvious Solomon was at the absolute pinnacle of success. He looked down from that pinnacle as if he could see everything around him clearer than ever before. And it is in the book of Ecclesiastes we see wisdom that cannot be found in the book of Proverbs. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, standing from the perch of all of his successes, he wrote the confession from the top. He starts out the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 1 with this. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Very similar to verse 12, our key verse. But when he says the words of the preacher, he means these are the words of a teacher. In other words, what he's trying to say is, listen up. I've got more to tell you. I know I've provided the book of Proverbs, which has great wisdom. I know I've provided the book of Song of Songs, which has great love. But now I've got something more to tell you. I've got one last lesson that I could only learn after experiencing all of this. This is what he says in verse 2. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What a depressing understanding he brings. That word vanity means meaningless. In other words, meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. After observing all of his life, having experiences we could ever dream of, successes that we could ever dream of, Solomon observed at the very end that he saw very little in all of it. And that although it seemed to be a goal to reach for, once he had reached it, it did not fulfill him the way he thought it would be. It would fulfill him. But rather it looked to him to be absolutely meaningless. Vanity means exhibiting no profit, little to no accomplishment. If there was anybody who could say, I'm an accomplished individual, it was Solomon. However, though others may look to him and say, that's an accomplished individual, Solomon said, it's all vanity. It's all meaningless. It's exhibiting no profit. This hasn't benefited me at all. All my searching for wisdom, it's not benefited me. All of my riches, it's not profited me. All of the honor, it's accomplished nothing in my life. It is meaningless. He also uses a term, vexation of spirit, 
in Ecclesiastes 1 and 12. He uses it several times in the book of Ecclesiastes, seven times, in fact. That phrase, vexation of spirit, it literally means fruitlessness, futility. He's sitting on a mountain of gold. (laughs) And he says, all of this is fruitless and meaningless. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. He is sitting at the pinnacle and the height of honor. We're all desired to know him and be him. And yet he says it's all futility. He observes 29 times, he says, the phrase under the sun. Because Solomon had explored every avenue of riches and wisdom and honor. And yet he recognized all things under the sun. It is meaningless. It is meaningless. Down at the bottom of the mountain, as some of us may be, some of us may be higher I doubt anyone here would say you're at the top. But sitting down below, we could see Solomon. We can see those who have great wealth, those who have great fame, those who have great honor, those who have great education, and we can have our hearts yearn just to have a taste of what they've tasted. But hear the confession from the top. Because Solomon says, it's not what it seems to be. And this is wisdom you can only get from the top. But he says, it's all vanity. Money's not going to make you happy. Honor's not going to make you happy. A pursuit of knowledge is not going to make you happy. All of those things are futile. All of those things are meaningless. There's only one thing that will make you happy, and that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is a life that is lived fully and completely unto the Lord. If you're seeking joy, then seek Jesus, not cash. If you're seeking fulfillment, then seek the kingdom. Don't seek after possessions because only God is able to do it. Only God. Only God. Only God is able able to do it. And see, we've got testimonies after testimonies, examples after examples from the top. How many movie stars, artists, musical artists, politicians even, have we heard overdosing on drugs, committing suicide? All these that we may aspire to be And it seems that from the very top, there is a very depressing story. A phrase that has become popular today because of the statistics on suicide is this. Suicide is a rich man's game. 
Suicide is a rich man's game. Because those in poverty, though it would appear they would be the ones to take their lives first or the quickest, those in poverty take their lives much less than those on the top. Hallelujah. And maybe it's because down at the bottom, we're all reaching for the top. We're all seeking for the top. We're trying to get to the very top. But those who have made it to the top, they realize if this is what all my life has been about, then this is meaningless. Then this means nothing. Because here at the top, it means nothing. It's benefited me zero. Because one day I'm going to pass on and none of this is going to mean anything at all. There may be a diverse set of reasons to explain why these men and women have chosen to take their life. But ultimately, great wealth, honor, and power did not save them. If you think that a pursuit of money is going to be your ticket out, I'm sorry to tell you, Solomon did not think so. If you think that honor is your ticket out, confession from the top, it is meaningless. If you think that more wisdom or knowledge is the solution, the confession from the top, it is meaningless. One example of this is Alexander the Great. Alexander was known to be a war hero. He was named by many in philosophy and the art of war, a genius in philosophy and the art of war. He compared, he, I'm sorry, he conquered every enemy that he faced. He pursued conquest, desired to conquer as much of the world as he possibly could. Yet, after it seemed that most of the world was in his grasp, history tells us that Alexander fell into deep depression. One night, trying to drink the depression away, Alexander became very sick. To that illness, he would die. It would be the one battle that he would not win. And I'm sorry to tell you, this is a grim understanding, I know. You know I don't always preach like this. It's usually happy around here. and We're dancing and shouting and hanging from the fans. But this is a grim understanding. We could win every battle. But there's one battle we will not win. We could be successful in every area. But there's one area that we all will succumb to. And it looks at first like the book of Ecclesiastes may be read more like one of the suicide notes of those who have taken their lives than it would Scripture. But this book is a book of true wisdom. Possibly more so when you really grasp the understanding of it than the book of Proverbs. 
Because in the end, Solomon recognized what life was all about. In the end, Solomon realized what really matters. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13 in the New Living Translation, it says that's the whole story. That's everything. That's all the depressing details. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey His commandments for this is everyone's duty. He says at the end of the story, At the conclusion of my life, at the conclusion of this epic, this epic book, he says, this is my final thought. I gotta fear God. I gotta pursue the Lord. I gotta love God. I gotta make him my desire. I gotta make him my pursuit. And everything else is not important or more important than my pursuit of the Lord. Why don't you do that right now? How about we stand to our feet and begin to call on the Lord and say, God, I love you. I fear you. You are my heart's desire. You are what I desire and need. Hallelujah. If we seek him, hallelujah, then all these things will be ours. Psalms 119 and verse 2, it says, Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with a whole heart. Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 23. Look at this. Thus saith the Lord. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. Verse 24. But let him that glorieth, glorieth in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. That I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Come on, this is the lesson that Solomon had to learn. I can't glory in my wisdom. I got to glory in God. This is the lesson that that uh, Samson had to learn. I can't glory in my strength and in my might. I must glory in God because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're standing on a mountain of wealth. It doesn't matter if you have honor and if you have wisdom. Do you got God? Do you have the Lord in your life? Did you do something other than the great pursuit of wealth and building your mountain? Or did you humble yourself and work in the kingdom of God? Oh, hallelujah. Because these are the confessions from somebody who made it. Somebody who sought wisdom as a blessing. But his blessing became an obsession. 
I'm not saying we can't have wealth. Certainly God sometimes will bless us with wealth. But it's when wealth becomes our obsession. I'm not saying we can't search for honor. The Bible says that Jesus had grown in favor with man and God. But honor must not become our obsession. To glory in something means to trust in it, to lean on it, to boast about it. It's okay to desire wisdom, but don't glory in it. It's okay to desire strength, but don't glory in it. It's okay to desire financial stability, but don't glory in it. Don't let it become your obsession. Don't let it become the thing you lean on, you boast about, you put your trust in. Don't trust in those menial things that can be taken in a moment, but put your trust in the Lord. Don't seek after those things that are here today and gone tomorrow, but seek after the Lord. Hallelujah. Go ahead, put up Matthew 6.33. He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. You need God to bless you. All these things will be added to you. You need God to provide for you. All these things will be added unto you. You need honor on your job and favor. All these things will be added unto you. But there's one stipulation. I got to seek first the kingdom of God. I got to put my trust in God. I got to lean on the kingdom. I got to boast about the kingdom. I got to pursue after the kingdom. First Corinthians 131. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. <laughs> let him glory in the Lord. At the last, when it's all said and done, I don't want it to be said, there's Aaron Meehan, the wealthiest man. Or there's Aaron Meehan, the well, most well-known man. There's Aaron Meehan, the most loved man. There's Aaron Meehan, the most knowledgeable man. Oh, but let it be said, there's Aaron Meehan. He loved God, and God loved him. Come on, come on. am I talking to anybody? You've had a taste of success, and you realize it's not the answer to all your questions. You had some success, and you realize it's not what it's all cut out to be. Hallelujah. From the top, you can confess and say, seek after the Lord. Pursue after righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Very quickly, very briefly, I'd like to cover just a couple of the ideas that Solomon offers in the book of Ecclesiastes. These are the confessions from the top. The first confession he had to admit is that there's never enough. Once you set your heart to pursue after worldly gain, honor, wealth, wisdom, position, it is never enough. We will never be satisfied. I've known people who have told me, in fact, I knew one man, he told me specifically, I'm not going to stop until I become a millionaire. 
We were sitting in a Dunkin' Donuts. We were sipping coffee. So if my desires become a million, I'm going to be a millionaire before I die. That's everything I want. That's the only thing I want in this life, that by the end of the that when I die, I'm a millionaire. The only thing I could think was, why one million? <laughs> I mean, really, why not two million or three million? One million doesn't go as far these days as it used to. Especially recently. Hallelujah. You're going to spill that, spend that much in gas probably before your life's over. <laughs> because it's never enough. Ecclesiastes 5.10. He says, he that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. Nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity or meaningless when goods increase, they are increased that eat them. You ever wonder why it seems like you keep getting more money and it doesn't, it's like your life doesn't change? Now, why don't I have more money in the bank? Well, it's because now instead of having that flip phone, you've got a $2,000 iPhone, right? Because you had the money. He says, so this pursuit, it's a circular never-ending pursuit. When my goods increase, they are increased that eat them. I just consume them. So I eat better steaks and go to nicer restaurants. And at the end of the day, did I really accomplish anything other than just get more money and make that circle greater? What good is there to the owners thereof? Saving the beholding of them with their eyes. With the exception of just seeing, oh, I accomplished that. Well, look at how much money I make. He says, what good is that? Can you hear the confession from the top? Somebody who's seen it all, and now he's recognizing it. He even said, Ecclesiastes 12, 12, and further by these, my son, be admonished of making many books, there is no end. Much study is weariness of the flesh. The man who prided himself on the most wise person with the most wisdom, he says, I don't know it all. There is an endless amount of books. This being the number one in your industry. Look, I'm not saying that that's a bad pursuit. I'm just saying don't invest everything you've got into that. Because at the end of the day, you're not going to, there's always going to be more. Hallelujah. And he says, much study is weariness of the flesh. Ecclesiastes 8.16, he says, When I applied mine heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done upon the earth, for also there is that neither day or night seeth sleep with his eyes. So in other words, I'm, I'm spending all day and night trying to obtain this pursuit of mine. Verse 17, then I beheld all the work of God, that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. In other words, it's too much. It's too big. I may stay up night and day, but I cannot fully grasp it all. Because though a man labor to seek it out, yet he shall not find it. Yea, further, through a wise man think to know it, 
yet shall he not be able to find it. Ultimately, the greatest wisdom that Solomon obtained at the end of his life was that he was not that wise. At the end of the day, looking back on your life, is that going to be the question? Was I really the best? Was I really this? Was I really that? Did I ever have enough? Let me tell you, death happens to us all. I know this is grim, but please just hear this. Ecclesiastes 9.11, Solomon said, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. Neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill. But time and chance happeneth to them all. We are all stuck in this system of time and chance. We've learned that this week, the passing of our friend's son, life is short. And spending all of it pursuing riches, pursuing strength, pursuing these things, which in themselves are not bad, but this constant obsession with trying to become number one or to reach the top. He says it's futile. Ecclesiastes 2.15 then said, I in my heart, as it happeneth to a fool, so it happeneth even to me. And why was I more wise? Why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart that this is also vanity. He could not be wise enough to escape death. He could not be rich enough to escape death. He could not be strong enough to escape death. But death came to him as it came to the unwise and those without strength and those without wealth. And at the end of the day, we all share this earth and a grave in this earth. Again, I recognize this is depressing. But hear this, verse 16, For there is no remembrance of the wise more than the fool forever. Seeing that which is now in the days to come shall all be forgotten. How dieth the wise man as the fool? Therefore I hated life. Because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me. For all is vanity and vexation of spirit. He says this, what I've learned is that even though my mindset was, yeah, I'm going to die, but at least I'll leave a legacy. He says, the wise is remembered no more than the fool. Maybe somehow you might be put in a book or you might somehow be remembered in that fashion but time happeneth to us all. And in time, even the memory of all your successes, all your wealth, all your honor will be forgotten. No wonder he said, therefore I hated life. Well, what about my children? I got to leave something for my children. At least my children will be set for life. You see, he actually talks on that too. 
He says, yet shall he have rule over my labor wherein I have labored and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. So they didn't work for this. And yet they are actually going to partake in all the things that I work for. And I have no control over how they, could, they use it. They could scrounge, you know, go off and spend it all on things that I don't approve of. They could waste their life away as many children with wealthy parents do. It's all vanity. You can really get close. He says, there is no end of all the people, even of all that have been before them. They also that come after shall not rejoice in him. There's no such thing as a legacy. Surely this also is vanity and vexation of spirit. The purpose of Ecclesiastes, if we could stand. Although these verses are extremely dark, looking on them, it's meant to help us to reflect on our own lives and our own motivations, our own pursuits. The true purpose of Ecclesiastes is to say, I've been to the top, and it's not all that it's cut out to be. I've been to the top, and ultimately I've observed that your happiness is just as well as mine. Your life needs to be lived to the fullest if you've got money in the bank or you don't, if you've got favor with men or you don't, uh, if you've got great knowledge and education or you don't, uh, live your life to the fullest. Don't allow these pursuits to overwhelm you or become your obsession. But give yourself to God and let the Lord touch you. Because listen, and I'll end on this point. This is the confession from the top. But I'd like to provide in the same time of life a confession from the bottom. This is what Paul had to say when he knew his life was about to come to an end. Paul was sitting in a jail cell, having been put there for preaching the gospel. Paul didn't have much money to his name. He didn't have much to say of himself. But this is what he said in 2 Timothy 4. For I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. Verse 7. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Hallelujah. Verse 8. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give 
me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. In other words, he says, I am not standing on a mountain, but I'm going to a better place, and there I have laid up for me a crown of righteousness. There I have laid up for me treasures in heaven. Matthew 6, 19. If you could throw that up, it says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let me tell you, oh, send your heart to the kingdom that's to come, not this kingdom. Put your heart in treasure that's going to outlast this system and this world. Pursue after God and his righteousness and fear the Lord. That's That's Solomon's confession from the very top. His confession is this. It's not worth it, but fear the Lord. Pursue after him. Love him. Make him your first heart's desire. Lay up treasure in heaven and not in this world. Give yourself to him. Hallelujah. I'm concluding here. I'm done. Hallelujah. I believe today God is wanting to speak to us, to minister to our hearts. God is wanting to show you, I've got more for you than this world can offer you. I've got more for your life than this world can offer to your life. I've got more peace and joy in my presence than this world has. Pursue after me. Seek after me. Would you come? Hallelujah. I want to invite you down to this 